three, two, one. Welcome to Disrupt. Edgy content that's real. Disrupt is a movement that consider the script flipped. It's the real talk. It's the water cooler conversation. Welcome to Disrupt. What's good, Humana? Disruption is in the house. We are talking today to Jennifer Byrne. She is the Chief Technology Officer of Microsoft US. And Jennifer, tell us a little bit about yourself. So uh, I work for Microsoft. Obviously, I've been here for about five years. uh, And I've had a variety of roles. I originally joined the company as the Chief Security Officer in our public sector group and spent a couple of years traveling around the world, uh, working with governments outside of the U.S., talking about issues of trust and adoption of public cloud. So I got very good at understanding what the world thinks about uh, U.S. technology companies and technology and its power to transform uh, at a sort of a societal level and, uh, and really good at the regulatory landscape. From there, I moved into a CTO role. I focused on industry, which is a fascinating journey because it taught me that uh, while it's great to understand all of the um, everything about technology, it doesn't matter very much if you can't actually make it relatable to what people are doing. And so this the journey through industry allowed me to get inside of healthcare and retail and manufacturing and understand how technology helps those industries. And from there, I moved into the U.S. subsidiary where I spend um, a lot of my time um, in, in leadership roles across our technical communities. So lots of engineers and architects in Microsoft working with our customers. Uh, and then um, really fun work um, out in markets with customers talking about what digital transformation really means for them. And um, that conversation always leads to topics like artificial intelligence and blockchain and IoT and all these sort of leading edge capabilities that hold so much promise for people uh, to actually start addressing problems that um, have felt kind of unsolvable until now, and now maybe technology can make a difference. Whew, that is a lot of stuff. I bet they pay you yeah, well over there. Uh, so it sounds like a lot of disruption in your world, and that's why we have you on the show is because we we kind of deem you as a disruptor. And so could you tell us just a personal time when you disrupted your life in some way, and it doesn't have to be like a deep dark secret, but like we we like to draw, uh, we like to draw visibility around the fact that we had to rethink our routines, we have to think differently, we have to disrupt. What, tell us a, a a quick time when you you were able to disrupt yourself, and and that was for a good thing. Okay. Uh- So I have a degree in psychology, and um, I got that degree because I always thought that I would be in the mental health and social services field. So I think this is actually a pretty personal story, now that I'm telling it. Oh, Uh, sorry. And I, no, 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 it's wonderful. I, um, my first, uh, my first job out of college was as the executive director of a very small nonprofit, um, working with uh, clients with uh, mental illness and other disabilities, and it was. Um, it was wonderful for me. It was exactly what I thought I wanted to do, very difficult work, but very rewarding. Um, and I lived in the nonprofit world off and on for four or five years. Uh, and um, at some point, really decided that it wasn't the right career for me anymore for a variety of reasons. And I needed to do something else uh, and needed to reinvent myself. So I went back to school and uh, 
learned a thing or two about computer science and networking and uh, moved to that field. I did that in my 30s and early 30s and with two little kids. Um, so it was tough to actually start over uh, and start at the beginning again. Um, I, I tell that story. I think it resonates with a lot of people. I think it is exactly what our job, uh, sort of the climate and jobs looks like um, for not only Americans but around the world. Uh, where uh, industry is changing and um, a lot of people are in a position where whatever they've been doing for the last 10 or 20 or 30 years is no longer what they should be doing going forward for a variety of reasons and it's tough to start over uh, but I did it it was a positive experience uh, I worked hard and um, and it landed me ultimately here uh, so there's there's one story of disruption. Wow. Uh, ultimately, wow. here sounds like it worked out very well. So uh, thank you for sharing that personal story. Uh, you know, you mentioned that you uh, you kind of uh, re-envisioned yourself and, and disrupted yourself and, and went back to school with, with two young kids. And I wanted to bring that up only because I have two young children as well. And uh, thank you for quasi sharing your age. A lot of people don't do that, so uh, we would we would <laughs> never <probably> ask that. <laughs> HR, I know <laughs> you're listening. But I'm happy to share that I, I will be 48 at the end of the year, and I have two daughters. Uh, one is 10, one is five. They're named Charlie and Irie, and they go to a STEM school, and they have been super excited that Dad is talking to the chief technology officer of a major company like Microsoft. And they are very interested in STEM, and they are interested uh, in the importance of women in technology because they really love technology. And so what can you tell us about uh, the importance of, of, of women in this particular field? Oh, I, this is a long topic, and I love that you asked me this question. Before I go there, can I just make one little note about this age thing? Please. I, in, a, in another conversation, I think talking about age and ageism, particularly in technology, uh, for both men and women is an important topic, particularly uh, because I think we are anticipating a lot of shifts uh, in the jobs world, if you will, so people are going to have to retrain and reskill. We see lots of statistics on that, so we know that it's coming. And I think there's an interesting intersection between that and the fact that a lot of workers who will be in their 30s, 40s, 50s will, you know, be embarking on some kind of retraining journey. And so it's just something I think we need to think about and be sensitive to, that there's really no age limit to learning uh, and acquiring new skills. And while there are lots of benefits that young workers bring to us, uh, we talk a lot about millennials, there are also lots of wonderful things that older workers bring to us. And so I, I want to always incorporate that into my talk track because I think it's something that we'll continue to talk about more. But back to women, the reason why we need women in technology is because we want to make sure that what we build the solutions, the capabilities, the technology that we build reflects the needs of everybody who uses it. So in a world where half of us are women, 7 billion people on this planet, 336 million of them in our country, hmm. half of them women, if we want to deliver digital capabilities into our markets uh, that really reflect the needs of the people uh, we serve, then we should try to make sure the people building that technology look a lot like the people who will be using that technology. See, Charlie, see, Ari, I told you she'd have a great answer. 
They'll listen to that back later. No, I, I agree with you, and and I, uh, I I really hear where you're going with uh, the the piece right before that when you're talking about uh, ages and and workforces and things of that nature. And we're going to definitely hit on uh, some of the reskilling efforts that that you all have taken on as a company, and really to kind of tee that up before we really drop some some cool news that a lot of people here in Louisville have not. Uh, heard and yes, I say Louisville, and we'll test you on whether or not you can say that before the end of the program. But uh, I wanted to introduce you to my co-host Shermaya Holland. Shermaya is an IT project manager here, and she's working on the Microsoft O365 transformation project here. And she has a couple of questions that she wanted to to talk to you about today as well. Great, hi Shermaya. Hi Jennifer, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. I wanted to talk to you about some of the um, AI in government. So what does AI really mean? You know, we watch those episodes on Netflix of Black Mirror, a little disturbing. Uh, But what does that really mean? AI is a really broad term. And so I think this is exactly the conversation we, we should be having, because like a lot of technology terms, um, it it gets a little overused, becomes a buzzword, and it can create some confusion if you don't stop once in a while to ask the very question you just asked, what is it really? Uh, it's a category of technology capabilities, which really are, uh, so the definition is that a computer can learn and can be smart and uh, can essentially perform tasks that you would normally think that only humans could perform. So uh, natural language processing, if you've ever talked to a chatbot before, um, if you uh, have seen any kind of video or facial recognition, those kinds of services uh, we think about, we call them cognitive services because they're typically human in nature. So a computer um, system that can learn and um, oftentimes can perform functions that seem very human-like. But it's a broad, broad category, and there are lots of different kinds of AI. And, um, and a lot of AI is relatively simple, and then there's a lot that uh, in that category that is very complex and sort of groundbreaking in its own way. So if you um, think about typing, typing ahead, where you type a couple letters into an email or a spreadsheet, and um, the computer finishes it for you. That's AI. So it's sort of all around you, if you will. There's lots of simple AIs. A chatbot is natural language processing, so computers learned how to um, create translation services from text-to-voice and do that in a way that sounds like a human voice. There's AI there, and then there's some really uh, advanced AI techniques that get applied to different kinds of projects. But... um, uh, you could you maybe heard the term deep neural networks or other kinds of learning systems, and so there's that. So it's a big, broad category. A lot of it is actually um, stuff that we use today. We don't even know about it, and then there's some really groundbreaking stuff um, that is super cool, and I love to talk about that too. Yeah, I want to get back to the Black Mirror reference. Uh, I've been rewatching that uh, much to my uh, fright. And then when I read that you recently joined, let me see, it's a laundry list of, of folks here, but Amazon, Google, MySpace, I'm sorry, Facebook, uh, they were at the White House AI Summit. So when I hear the words AI and Summit and White House, I, I get frightened. What what was that, just briefly, What what was that summit about? That was a gathering of uh, government leaders across major agencies 
uh, industry and academia to talk about how AI could be adopted to better serve the American public. Uh, so it wasn't actually all scary, although I completely understand uh, why we feel that way, and, and we probably should feel that way because it keeps us um, sort of attentive and tuned to the conversation as we should be. Uh, but it really was um, it was because the um, the Office of Science and Technology, uh, OSTP is the name of, of the agency. It's not an agency, but it's a group within the White House has published an executive order on AI, uh, which is a statement from the president uh, to say that in order to maintain our competitiveness in the global market uh, and in order to better serve our own people, we need to think at government levels around how we can innovate using AI, but also how we can uh, think about our regulatory landscape and policies to make sure that AI is used in the right way and not the wrong way. And that is directly a reference to what you're talking about in the scenarios like you see on Black Mirror. I'm not a big fan of the show, but I know what you're talking about. And for sure, you know, robots becoming human, AI uh, sort of taking over, those are the big, you know, headline topics. Um, if you get down into the weeds a little bit more, just the idea that if a computer can learn, how can you make sure that the computer is learning the right things and not the wrong things or conversations around uh, we call it unintended bias. So if a computer is being programmed by somebody who has biases or has data, the data that it's using to learn has biases built into it, how do you know that the computer isn't also going to be biased? So there are, there are lots of legitimate conversations there, um, and we solve them, I think, a couple of ways. We solve them by uh, making sure that we are tuned to this regulatory conversation, that whatever laws we have in place, whatever regulations or policies we have in place, that they're designed to ensure that everyone is served by technology and that we do think in you know sort of long-term ways about the ultimate consequences of the use of technology and AI specifically and that so not only is it um, is it delivered to market and used in ways that are fair and equitable today but it will continue to be that way in the future um, and then there are things that we can do within the technology itself to make sure that it is itself more transparent and more usable. Um, and so when you get a broader group of people who can access technology, you um, mitigate the risk that only a small group of people can control it and use it the way they want to. Um, but back to the summit, um, it was uh, a fascinating day, really, um, because I you know, had um, an opportunity to talk to a lot of different department heads, um, Department of Transportation, HUD, National Science Foundation, National Institute of Health, uh, DHS. Uh, and these are, it, it, at the end of the day, they're people who run agencies and are trying to figure out for themselves, is there a better way to run the business of government? Whether it's the business of government internally, um, can, I, can we be more efficient? Can we be more productive? Um, and the business of government in the way that it interacts with the public, can we offer better services? Can we be more transparent about what we do? Uh, when you get into the research institutions like National Science Foundation and National Institutes of Health, uh, they are using AI to address some uh, pretty hard problems. So the National Science Foundation it looks at problems uh, like wildfires. Can you use um, different kinds of data sets, climate data, um, data around local topography to better 
predict um, the spread of a wildfire, which is hmm. extremely relevant to people who live in areas of the country where that's a threat. Um, or can you predict the damage, water damage to bridges during a hurricane, which is extremely relevant. So there's all sorts of great stuff that's uh, happening uh, in these agencies, within these agencies, and they are continuing to try to push on, um, push, push up the, the envelope with respect to what more they can do. Um, so anyway, every, every single one of these has a different story, but I, I, I love to say that, Chuck, because I think it's really easy to be fearful, and I think we do need to be careful. We do need, it behooves all of us to really take the time to understand this topic, uh, but also know that in many government agencies, there are a lot of people who devote their lives to um, public service and are trying to use technology to solve some pretty big problems. Well, that that makes me feel a lot better, and now I'm gonna like slow down my. I'm gonna slow my roll on buying canned goods and, and bottled water. So thank you for that because it was really I was gonna have to get a second job. Uh, so real quick, and keep me honest on time. How much time do you have left with us this morning? Five, ten minutes. I think I have ten. Okay, awesome. That's perfect because we we really are excited about this next topic. So I don't know how much you follow Humana. Uh, but uh, we have uh, a huge, we're on a, a huge tech advancement journey, and we're talking about all of it, cloud transformation, agility, this thing called interoperability, data democratization, and you know we've got a, a new Studio H up in Boston, uh, which is helmed by uh, Heather Cox. Uh, so we are we are recognizing that you know we are really a data company and not a health insurance company. We are uh, a data company with with little pieces of, of insurance stuff, and we realize that. Uh, our our key mission is to help people live healthier, and we do that uh, in a different way than than selling insurance, right? So uh, it was very interesting to me, and how this really all came about is when I saw a press conference with you, uh, with the mayor Greg Fisher in Louisville recently about the Louisville Digital Alliance, and what was interesting to me is one. Um, the, all the work that you all have planned, which we'll talk about here in just a few moments, uh, is super exciting. Being, you know, a dad of two young girls who will be able to benefit from this uh, partnership. But then in the background, I see, uh, we'll say lurking, uh, is uh, Paul Friedman, who was from Humana. And I was like, oh, oh, we're involved in this. Oh, my gosh. And so then it started off this chain of. Uh, why are we there? You know, this this whole thing. So first and foremost, could you tell us a little bit about what this Louisville Digital Alliance uh, partnership is and why did you all choose Louisville? The Louisville Digital Alliance partnership is meant to do uh, a couple of things, but primarily it's uh, meant to be a partnership where we can work with the city itself and um, and business leaders within the city, educational leaders within the city, to understand how best to build broad digital skills capability that serve not only the business interests of companies in and around Louisville, but serve the people of Louisville. And there are a variety of um, of initiatives that we'll undertake in order to do that. One of them is to think about digital skills across the supply and demand pipeline, which is to say that uh, 
how you know what skills you should learn um, is uh, is because you have actually talked to businesses. So mm-hmm. talking to Humana to say what kinds of skills do you want your employees to have or your future employees to have or GE Appliances or any of the other companies in, in the Louisville area. And have you noted that I'm saying Louisville really well? You are. I, I was going to bring that up, but thank you for bringing it up. It, I, I love it. It rolls right off the tongue. <laughs> thank you. I know. I've been practicing. Uh, so if you talk to business leaders in Louisville, then you learn what kinds of skills they need. Uh, and then that gives you the context to work um, across educational institutions and uh, through other investments that we're making to uh, focus on those skills that are needed most. So we think about it as a supply and demand pipeline. And that's really important because actually a lot of people or a lot of companies aren't quite sure what skills they need because this is such a new area. Uh, and we don't actually have a lot of the right titles in place. If you talk to, I talk to companies all over the country uh, about this topic and, and their workforce. And, um, and many will tell you that um, they are you know, just now sort of inventing, not inventing necessarily, but you know, trying to figure out craft new titles and new job competencies. And so um, at, we're all learning at the same time, if you will, and bringing those two audiences together, the people who can provide the skills and the people who will consume them is really powerful. So we are, um, we're hiring um, a handful of technology fellows, our city is, so we're helping to fund that effort who will embark on that work. But it's not just that work. It's also thinking all the way down in the what we would call the talent pipeline down to little kids. Right? And how do you start preparing uh, people of all ages um, for sort of the you know a digital future? So skills can start with um, five-year-olds and ten-year-olds and fifteen-year-olds and twenty-year-olds. They also can be it's a very relevant topic for people who are returning to work whether it's mothers returning to work or veterans coming back into the workforce. These are powerful portions of our economy that we can really light up by providing access to digital skills. How you know what skills is because you talk to local business um, and you figure out what they need. No, that's and, and that's one of the, the very interesting things uh, that I took from this is this whole reskilling and upskilling. We talked on our show a couple of weeks ago about the new uh, – the new fad, I wouldn't call it a fad, I guess the new thing where folks, you know, like even in my age group, you know, I'm in that uh, Gen X, you know, late Gen X, uh, where I find myself, you know, a lot of the ads now are, are trying to get in my pocketbook. And folks my age are now saying, just kind of like what you did with your whole psychology thing, it's, you know, I really want to get involved in this tech thing. So I'm going to take a like a mentorship at my age. You know, and they go in and they they learn something new, and so this whole reskilling and upskilling thing uh, is super interesting to me. And so, so I, I read up on on some of the things that you all are going to be offering. So there's like some digital literacy workshops, uh, ideation, design thinking workshops, symposiums, uh, hackathons. You know. Uh, what what are you all most excited about? At least as this kicks off uh, to. Um, to help with those upskilling, reskilling efforts? There's not one kind of skill or one event that I'm most excited about. What I really love is that we are thinking holistically mm-hmm. about all the different kinds of events and activities that you need to initiate and sustain in order to really make the ecosystem light up. One of the most powerful um, 
part of this alliance with Louisville is this idea that uh, you have to work across an ecosystem in order to really make progress happen. That you can't just work in this kind of, you know, in this kind of, with this kind of topic, you can't just think about educational institutions. You can't just think about kids. You can't just think about business. You have to think about them all together. And when you do that, um, ultimately what you understand you have to deliver into the market isn't just hackathons. Like we can go make um, IT people better and uh, more proficient in the use of AI, machine learning algorithms, and all of that, all that stuff in their world. And we can um, help in primary education talk about STEM and skills and make sure that we are supporting girls and um, other parts of the population. We can do all that, but it's really doing it all together that makes it great for me. So that's why I love the assistance thinking, design thinking is a really important component of businesses being able to understand, okay, here's my business problem. How would I apply technology? That's a specific competency we need to teach. We need to teach little kids. We need to work with local community colleges and vocational institutes to understand um, if you were going to go take a six-month course in data science, what should it look like? We need to actually get out into the community and talk to people who feel like they have no access to this topic and maybe don't even feel entitled to have access to this topic and talk to them about technology. Who, are, who is at the edge of Louisville, if you will, who we can bring into the fold just by um, sponsoring different kinds of community events. All of that has to happen, I believe, at the same time across the ecosystem of Louisville to actually make progress happen. Totally agree with you there, and uh, I want to be mindful of your time, so we're going to wrap up. But uh, I do want to put you on the spot. Uh, do you promise to come back from time to time and, and give us an update uh, on how it's going? I promise. Oh, there it is. And I'm recording, <laughs> so. back to Louisville <laughs> as often as I can. I think I am back in November, actually. Sweet. Awesome. Well, I'll uh, I'll have to uh, make sure that uh, I buy you some uh, bourbon while you're in town. If you're of that uh, sort, if not, I'll get you <laughs> oh, yeah. some of my bottled water that I have in my bunker downstairs. I uh, believe in like when in Rome, do like the Romans. Okay. So I'm uh, happy to partake of the bourbon. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for joining us today, Jennifer Byrne. It has been uh, a pleasure. Shermaya and I both the whole time as you're speaking, our heads are nodding off of our necks, like just you're you're preaching the gospels <laughs> and and keep keep doing that. I think one of the things for me with Microsoft is I wrote Microsoft off a while back. Uh, you know, many years back, it's it's everything feels like yesterday because the the world moves so quickly now. But just watching how Microsoft has has transformed into this other thing, uh, and and quite honestly, uh, is just really exciting. Like I, I have all I, I've bought in. Like I was I was on this other platform who shall not be named because I want to give many shine. And I'm now back on Windows and, and Microsoft, and you all are killing it, dude, like killing it. And thank Absolutely. you for, for, for everything that you all are doing. And this type of stuff is just amazing, and we're very excited that you're going to be in our community and helping us uh, get our arms around this thing. Well, Chuck and Shemaya, thank you so much for having me. And I'll tell you what, the way you kill it is you care more about other people then you do about yourself, and it all comes back to you in time. And I think that's exactly the strategy that Satya, my version of his strategy, 
uh, in our company strategy, but it's just really, really wonderful to hear that feedback. Very gratifying. So thank you very much for having me. You have a wonderful weekend, folks. That was Jennifer Byrne, the Chief Technology Officer of Microsoft U.S. You have a great weekend, Jennifer. Thanks, Jennifer. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Three, two, one. Welcome to Disrupt. Edgy content that's real. Disrupt is a movement. Consider the script flipped. Welcome to Disrupt. Edgy content that's real. Disrupt is a movement. Consider the script flipped. It's the real talk. It's the water cooler conversation. 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 It's the water cooler conversation. 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 Thank you for listening to the Disrupt Podcast.